You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we read, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the 50th day from the Passover, or the first day after seven weeks from the Passover. And in the passage that we read, we find that it was on this day that the small band of followers of Jesus were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly, just as Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit filled each one of them. The power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the church for the very first time. It was a monumental day in the life of the church. From that point forward, everything would change for the Christian. From that moment on, these weak and frightened believers were changed into bold and powerful disciples who would change the world for Jesus Christ. When you think of days and events that change the history of the world, what comes to your mind? Several things probably immediately come to your mind. I'm going to give you a a top 10 list of events that many historians point to as the great world-changing events. Number 10 was the Renaissance. The Renaissance. This was the time that marked the end of an age that had been ruled by superstition and fear. It was a time when man once again began to explore his world, to travel the seas, to get outside of themselves. You know, what's interesting, it, it, it was a time when the Bible got back into the hands of the common people And the dark ages ended, and men began again to explore the world that God had given to them. Number nine is Pax Ramona, a Latin phrase meaning the peace of Rome. A 200-year period, approximately from 27 B.C. to 180 A.D., when the empire of Rome stopped fighting everybody and was at peace. During this time, there was a great engineering advancements that took place. Life-changing things like citywide plumbing and highway systems that crossed the nation were invented and advanced. And we must admit today, those are pretty significant inventions that we have. Number eight was the life of Muhammad. See, with the rise of Islam around 600 AD, there was a unifying of hundreds of small tribes in the Middle East into a somewhat cohesive people under one religion. No one today can doubt the effect that we feel because of the beliefs and influences of the Islamic world. 
It is dramatic. Number seven, Gutenberg's printing press. Before the invention of the printing press, guys, everything was copied by hands. And sometimes it would take a year just to copy one document, to make one copy of one document. (laughs) With the printing press, suddenly the world changed. With this single invention, think of the educational changes that happened when all of a sudden we had books everywhere. Think of the effect that it had on the spreading of the gospel. Do you know what the number one printed book in the world has ever been? It's your Bible. Dramatically changed the spread of the gospel. Number six was World War I, or what they called at that time the Great War. It laid the groundwork for World War II. And it was the first war where mankind ever used weapons of mass destruction on each other. Number five, of course, is World War II. The first war in the history of man that involved almost every continent and every nation on the face of the earth. Nearly 600 million, excuse me, nearly 60 million people were killed. 3% of that population were killed during World War II. It led to the development of the United Nations, to the homeland for Israel once again after 2,000 years. And of course, it led to the invention of the atomic bomb, which has certainly changed the world. Number four, the tearing down of the Berlin Wall. The wall that had divided freedom in the West from communism in the East was brought down. And suddenly the world, at least for a short period of time, seemed like a really safe place to live. (laughs) That quickly changed. Number three was the American Revolution. The American Revolution took many ideas from early civilizations of the Greeks and the Romans and combined it with Christian thought from the Bible. And this led to a revolt against the unbending authority of England. Guys, the underlying belief that led to the American Revolution was that every man, and though that was narrowly defined at that time, and thank God it has changed, but that every man was equal and should be treated fairly. Guys, that idea and this nation has greatly affected the modern world. Number two was the Reformation. The intent of the Reformation, of course, was to reform the Catholic Church and to bring it back to its biblical roots. The end result was that the Catholic Church remained pretty much the same, but the Protestant Church was born, and it was built on the foundation of four very important principles. We call them the solas, Christ alone, faith alone, Scripture alone, and grace alone. But, you know, most important, the Reformation brought the Bible back into the hands of the common man. And maybe this has been the most prolonged effect of the the Reformation is that now Bibles were everywhere. Men were influenced by their Bibles. The number one, and of course we would all agree with this, the number one event that has affected the world was the birth and the life of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Jesus never traveled more than a few days journey from his hometown. And it was only after his death and resurrection that his teaching began to spread beyond his homeland and eventually to the entire world. Jesus' teaching and his path to salvation set off an atomic religious bomb that is still being felt today. Oh, the life and the changes that came because of Jesus. Now, guys, these are 10 events that we would all agree have certainly changed and shaped the world we live in today. And yet, I believe for the life of the Christian... There is one other event that has changed our life like no other. And that 
was the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day at Pentecost spoken of here in Acts chapter 2. For what took place in that moment on that day changed everything for the followers of Jesus. It was the beginning of a whole new experience for the Christian. It was the unleashing of God's power in the world as it had never known before. Suddenly, every believer could personally, personally experience the power of God working in their own life. Yes, there had been individuals prior to the day of Pentecost who had experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. There were men like David and Moses and John the Baptist who had all experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. But to this point, it had only been the power that a few men and women had experienced. Beginning on Pentecost Sunday, the power of the Holy Spirit was available to every believer. And this event was life-changing for the church. All believers could now experience what had been only for a select few. Moses had long before this day, many centuries before, had longed for this event. In Numbers chapter 11, God had instructed Moses to go out and select 70 elders to help him lead and oversee the children of Israel. Well, after he selected the 70 guys, he invited them all and gathered them all at the tabernacle. And in chapter 11, verse 25, we read this. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke to him and he took the spirit that was upon him, that being Moses, and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Now, you understand what's going on. Joshua is thinking, wait a minute. These people can't be filled with the Spirit. They can't be doing what was only for Moses. But Moses then said to him, are you zealous for my sake? In other words, are, are you trying to defend me? Moses said, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Moses only dreamed of a day when every follower, every person of faith would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And now this day in Jerusalem, some 1,500 years later, Moses' prayer comes to pass. On Pentecost Sunday, God pours out his spirit on all. God made his power available to anyone who would ask, to all who would seek the power and filling of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible day it was. And I've got to say for the church, certainly no other day had a greater impact on the followers of Jesus Christ. But today, this morning, 2,000 years later, the question for us becomes, can we experience this power of the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus? And the answer is absolutely yes. 
And yet there seems to be so few people today, so few followers, I think, really experiencing this power. And this is the question that I want us to ponder with the time left. See, people have sought to repeat this experience of Acts chapter 2 for 2,000 years. But they only go away frustrated often by their inability to force God to repeat this moment in history in their lives. See, many Christians have made the mistake of looking for a formula to unleash the power of the Spirit. They study this passage and they try to understand what happened that day on the church. What was going on there that caused God to do what he did, to work in such a powerful way? And I think this kind of thinking is always dangerous, guys. Whenever we read our Bible looking for a formula for what God does, we run into problems. See, many people have read this verse in chapter 2, verse 1, and they've responded by saying, hey, the church needs to gather in one place. We need to get it back together, this community. And then, and then there needs to be a unity among us. In other words, we've got we've to solve all of our problems and get together, and we've got to exist and 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 work and live in one accord with each other. They conclude that the secret is this oneness. And when the church has this oneness, like the early church, God will again pour out his Holy Spirit on the church. The idea being that this Pentecostal work of the Holy Spirit is all about proximity and unity. We just need to get people together back in, in community. And there just doesn't need to be any strife. And, and this is the secret formula that will open the door of God to unleash his spirit and his work upon the church. Now, I'm going to tell you, community and unity are very important factors for this church when it comes to us having a witness and an impact and a success in our community. There's no doubt about that. But there is no formula for God's work. And you're kidding yourself if you think there is. God is sovereign. And he chooses the time and he chooses the place where he will send his spirit upon the church and upon any individual member of the church. God makes his choices. In the book of Acts, there are several occasions where Luke, the author, records people experiencing this filling and power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's multiple people all gathered together. Sometimes it's just individuals. Sometimes it's in a church setting. Sometimes it's out in the community. Each time, though, the experience is unique. There are some similarities, but there are many, many differences. It's a different setting. It's a different need that God is trying to meet. There's a different manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there are some similarities, but in no way are these experiences cookie-cutter experiences. Well, let's look at a few of them very quickly. Now, I'm not going to read the passages. I'm just going to say them to you, and I'm going to tell you what happened. You might want to jot them down and look at them later. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Peter and John had just been threatened by the temple authorities to stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. They quickly met together with some of their fellow believers and they had a prayer meeting. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit filled the place and the place shakes. There's a holy earthquake that happens right there in the house that they're in. But the resulting evidence was not speaking in unknown tongues. This time it's boldness and courage to continue preaching the word. Then we get over to Acts chapter 7 verse 55. 
Stephen, this is an interesting one because Stephen has been preaching about Jesus and he's about to be martyred by the Jewish leaders for the powerful preaching that he's been doing. In that moment, he is filled with the Holy Spirit and the evidence and the effect of the Holy Spirit in Stephen's life is the courage and the power to stand strong in the face of persecution and even death. Ever thought about that as being a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. Saul has just been converted on the road to Damascus. Ananias comes as God has led him, and he comes and he prays for, for Saul, now Paul, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a physical healing that takes place. The scales that were on his eyes that had caused the blindness suddenly fall off, and Saul's sight is restored. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44 and 45. Paul has just preached the excuse me, Peter has just preached the gospel to the Gentiles there in the house of Cornelius. And while he is still preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on those that are gathered there. And the result is they are magnifying and praising God through the gift of tongues. A very similar experience to what had happened in Acts chapter 2 to the Jewish believers there. Now God repeats this experience for the new Gentile believers. I think this was important for Peter to see. Acts chapter 13, verse 9. Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. And it says being filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul experiences boldness and power to do something strange. He confronts a guy named Elimus, the sorcerer, who is plotting against the work of God. In other words, with the prophetic words of Paul, Elimus is struck with blindness. Now, that's an interesting outworking of the Holy Spirit. God confronts his enemies and he blinds his enemies. God can do whatever he wants to do. In Acts chapter 13, verse 52, Paul and Barnabas still on the same missionary journey, but now they're gathered with some other disciples and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the only evidence and effect that the Holy Spirit seems to have on them at this time is tremendous joy in their hearts. It's interesting. Peter would later write in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, when he's talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, he described it as joy inexpressible and full of glory. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. I'm going to tell you, one of the very first experiences that I had with the filling and power of the Holy Spirit was when I was a teenager. See, I grew up in a church that rarely talked or spoke or taught about the Holy Spirit. But one night, when I was a senior in high school, we were on a, a, a mission trip tour with the youth group. And, and we, we had just spent the night doing a concert and sharing our testimonies. And the Lord had done an incredible work that night in many of the students and the people present in that assembly. And after it was over, my good friend Barry and I, we sat there after the concert almost speechless. Everybody was gone, and we were just sitting in the front row, and we, we couldn't even hardly talk to one another. And for the longest time, we just sat there smiling, shaking our heads in amazement at what God had done. Our hearts were so full of joy that we could not hardly speak. I later read this verse about joy inexpressible and full of glory, and I realized that God had filled us that night with his Holy Spirit. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what had happened. We just knew what we had experienced. 
in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. There the evidence of the Holy Spirit is that God gives supernatural guidance and direction to Paul. The Holy Spirit actually forbids Paul and his team from going into Asia to preach the gospel. And he, he sidetracks them and sends them into Europe instead. Now, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit did that work. Whether it was through a word of prophecy, whether it was through a vision, whether it was just through an inward impression that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul. But it was through the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit that God guided them and led them. Lastly, Acts chapter 19, verse 6, the Holy Spirit falls on 12 men who are gathered in the church at Ephesus. There the evidence of the gift of, of the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And later that's followed by them boldly speaking the gospel in the synagogue. Again, a different experience. Now I mention all of these passages because I want to make a few observations to you that we learn from these episodes in the book of Acts about the filling and power of the Holy Spirit. I want to use the rest of our time to make three observations that come from looking at the overall work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and the overall teaching of the New Testament. And here they are. Number one, we learn that God is sovereign that he chooses when and where he will pour out his power and his gifts on his people. Guys, you and I, we cannot force and we cannot manufacture the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can try. We can fake it. And, and to be honest with you, through the years that I've been a believer, I've seen a lot of people try to fake it. But the reality is, is that the filling of the Holy Spirit is totally up to God. It's his work. It's his decision who and when and how he will pour out his spirit. Yes, guys, we need to pray. And we need to seek God for his empowering Holy Spirit. And we need to live expectantly, expecting and believing that God is going to work. But we can't make it happen. It's his decision. We can't manufacture the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we can't imitate these behaviors hoping that if we imitate long enough, it'll become real. Though I think sometimes the church tries to do that. My experience has been, and I think this bears out in the New Testament and in the stories that we just looked at, is that God works in a very natural yet supernatural way. He empowers us and he enables us to do things. And sometimes I don't even think when it's going on, we're aware of what's happening. But suddenly we look back and God has given us a word of knowledge that's helped a brother or a sister. He, he's, he's given us the gift of wisdom when a situation needed guidance or direction. Or maybe he's given to us a gift of discernment when the, when the church was in a volatile place and when something needed addressing. And at the time, we, we, we see these experiences happen and we don't recognize them for what they are because they just happen so naturally. It wasn't something crazy that went on. Somebody just stood up and said, this is what I think we ought to do. And everybody's spirit bore witness with it that, yes, that's the right thing to do. Or that's the right thing to say. Or this is the right direction we need to go in. And we don't recognize that that was actually God filling that person with the Holy Spirit, giving them power, giving them wisdom, giving them knowledge. But later we look back and realize that that is exactly what had happened. 
that God was leading us, that God was protecting us. And yet it wasn't obvious that that was what was going on. Oh, we're aware that God is there with us. We, we know that. But it, but it just seems more normal than we think it's going to be. See, somehow when we read the book of Acts, we think it was weird and strange and bizarre. And yet it wasn't. Oh, Acts chapter 2, was it weird, strange, and bizarre? Sure it was. After that, was it? Not really. Just normal people praying, seeking God, and God working. But I've also been in similar situations when I, or when we as the church, have prayed for wisdom, or insight, or boldness, and nothing really happened. We left those situations, I'd left those situations sometimes feeling very inadequate, feeling helpless to really minister the way I know God wants us to minister. At times, I've walked away from these opportunities wondering why God didn't work in the same way that he had worked previously, only to conclude that God is sovereign and he will choose when to work and where to work. And he will also at times choose to be silent and remind us of just how much we need his power. One of the stories that has always struck me as interesting is the story of Peter healing the lame man in Acts chapter 3. You remember the story. Peter and John are walking into the temple, and there's this lame man sitting by the entrance, and he's begging alms. I am certain that Peter and John had passed this man on many occasions, many times. But for some reason, on this day, Peter stops. He reaches down and he heals this man. Have you ever wondered what the difference was on this day or this encounter? Or why did the Holy Spirit empower Peter on this day to heal this beggar? Or even more, have you ever wondered why Peter didn't just go around while the power was there and heal everybody? I've thought that a thousand times. God, why didn't he just keep going? I mean, he was hot. He was on a, he was moving, you know? At least that's what I see on TV. It works with everybody on TV. <laughs> but the only conclusion that I can draw is that God is sovereign. And in his eternal wisdom and plan, he chose to heal one man that day. He chose to demonstrate his power through healing one beggar. There's no other next explanation. Peter and John were used that day by God to heal one man, not everyone. Now, yes, we play a part in God choosing or not choosing to work. I can lack faith. I can have sin in my life that might hinder the work that God wants to do through me. But many times I've come to realize that God did not choose to work. And the only reason that I can come up with is because he didn't want to for some reason. And that reason is unknown to me. I just know that God is the giver of the gifts. And he's the giver of the Holy Spirit. And he can choose when and where he wants to give them. Number two, the filling of the Holy Spirit is a repeated experience in the life of the believer. Now understand, when we're saved, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
The comforter that Jesus had promised comes to live inside of us. Paul spoke of this in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. When talking about the salvation experience, he says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. One of the ways that we can have confidence that we know that we're a Christian is that God's Spirit confirms it. God's Spirit speaks with our spirit. God's Spirit, there's a connection made between His Spirit and my spirit. And I just know that my Heavenly Father is there and that I am now His child. But on different occasions in the New Testament and in, in church history, there is a special power and anointing that seems to come on Christians. He fills them to overflow with his presence and with his power. They're filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can do some special work that God wants to do through them. And in this moment, we experience boldness in our witness. Or or we exercise some spiritual gift that, that comes upon us. Suddenly, it's present there, and we haven't had it before. Or we find ourselves confident and full of courage to face the persecution that's happening at work or at school or in the neighborhood. Or maybe for the first time, we feel a joy that just bubbles up in our lives and and it's something we've never known before, we've never experienced before. And then later, just as it came, it goes. The experience passes and life seems to go back to normal. Yes, we still sense the presence of God in our life. We're still confident that we're Christians, that we're walking with the Lord. But the surge of power is no longer there. The gift is no longer present. Spiritually speaking, life returns to normal. And then sometime later, when we least expect it, God shows up again and works in another special way. This seems to be the pattern of the New Testament Though I I hesitate to use the word pattern because truthfully, the one pattern there is in the New Testament is that there is no pattern. It just happens. You know, sometimes we read the book of Acts and and it's almost like a miracle a day. You know, it's just like boom, 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 boom. But what we don't realize is the book of Acts takes place over 30 years. You take the next 30 years to read the book of Acts and it all slows down. It wasn't a miracle a day. It was God showing up at specific times for specific purposes for, with specific people to do his work. But we see the Holy Spirit coming upon these same people time and time again in the book of Acts. And you know, guys, I got to tell you, this has sort of been my experience in life as well as a, in my Christian walk. That from time to time, more often then not, God shows up out of the blue and does a great work and it's thrilling. And many times I I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't expect it. It just does. But I believe we should live our life with this expectation of God's filling. I believe we should get up every day praying that God, please, Lord, use me today. Fill me with that spirit. Fill me with that power. Give me those gifts. And we never know when God might choose to empower us again. Remember, guys, he is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Always maintain a heart ready to seek and receive a fresh filling from God. Third observation that I want to make is that there is a difference between emotional experiences we have with the Lord and the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I want everybody to pay close attention for the next five minutes or so. I want you to get what I'm trying to say here. See, I think many people in the church today confuse these two experiences. Nowhere in the book of Acts do we find the filling and baptism of the Holy Spirit being described with emotionally charged words. It just doesn't happen. Now, yes, we can safely assume that when someone is filled with joy, inexpressible, full of glory, that there is some emotions attached to it. We can, we can be safe on that one. But when Peter healed the lame man, remember it is the lame man who is jumping and leaping and praising God. It is not Peter and John. They didn't just go bananas and start dancing around because God had used them. They just kind of seemed to be standing there going, wow, that's great. John was probably going, yeah, Pete, you did a good one there, bro. I don't know how that happened, but that was fantastic. Do it again. Well, I can't do it again. I've tried it. It's worked once. No, I'm just kidding. I'm being facetious. But I want you to notice, it was the man who received the, the gift of healing that was going crazy. It wasn't Peter and John. That, that story has always, you know, been interesting to me, their reaction. I'm sure that whenever people are used by God to work miracles or to do great works or, or, or just have this bold witness, I am sure that there are emotions attached to that experience. I know personally there are. And yet, in the New Testament, the instruments that God used always seem to keep those, those emotions under control. And I want to help us this morning differentiate between emotions and power, between an inward joy and an outward laughter, between courage to face persecution and tearful episodes when we have to, that are followed with pain and tragedy. Both are important, but they're two very different experiences. You guys understand, our emotions are always responses, whereas God's filling is an enabling. In other words, emotions are reactions. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a proactive experience. God empowers us to create something, to create action. Emotions are what happens afterwards. God's empowerings will sometimes create emotions, but emotions don't create God's empowering. Emotions can be powerful things. They can cause us to do things and say things that we would not otherwise have done or said. And oftentimes we have great regret for what we did or said when we follow those emotions, don't we? But this is never the case with the power of the Holy Spirit. God's spirit never leads us to do something that we regret later. I have never spoken boldly under the influence of the Holy Spirit and later regretted that I said it. Now, there have been times when I was sitting there speaking, I'm going, what are you saying? But, but I've never regretted it. But many times I have gotten caught up in emotional experiences and I've said things or I've done things that I later thought, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. And there's been a lot of regret there. Understand, emotional times with God are important, and we need them. Many times during worship, guys, and during prayer meetings, 
man, when we're just singing the songs and just worshiping the Lord, i got to be honest with you, I get tears in my eyes sometimes when I'm just thinking. I'm, I'm thinking about what we're singing. I'm thinking about the Lord. I'm thinking about the good he's done. I'm like, wow, the Lord seems so close and it's emotional. If you haven't cried during worship, you need to worship. You're not really, man, if you haven't been brought to tears during worship, you need to get more engaged because I promise you, you really begin to worship the Lord, it'll bring you to tears a lot of times. And these are precious times. And they're memorable and they're important. But they're not necessarily the times when God empowers us by his Holy Spirit. Yes, they are times of refreshing and they're special and we need them. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is different. Many times that experience, the experience of the Holy Spirit, is totally void of emotions. God brings boldness, but not necessarily excitement. He brings joy, but not necessarily laughter. He brings the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, but they're not necessarily accompanied by high emotional experiences. Zeal and passion, certainly. Hysteria and craziness, no. One of the problems in the church at Corinth was the people's tendency to allow their emotions to override their knowledge of the truth. This was the danger for them. In other words, they were allowing the excitement of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to interfere with the proper use of the gifts. And this is always a danger when we, when we have emotionally charged experiences. It's easy to lose control of ourselves, to allow our emotions to take over and dictate how we behave. In Corinth, they were experiencing the power of God, but they were subservient to their emotions. Let me say that again. In Corinth, they were experiencing God's power, but they were subservient. In other words, they were, they were following their emotions. And Paul spent three chapters trying to help them, under, help them to understand how to enjoy God's power and yet stay in tune with the work of his spirit. We need to be led by the spirit and enjoy the emotions that follow. We don't need to be led by our emotions and enjoy the Spirit, which is what often happens. Remember what Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 32. He said, the Spirit, and he used the smallest, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Hear the word spirit that he's using. It's used to talk about their emotions and their will. Paul is saying that even under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we have to be in control of our own spirit, of our own emotion, of our own will. In other words, spiritually speaking, we can't let the tail wag the dog. As we're maturing as believers, we need to discern between the, the, the difference of emotions leading us in the spirit of God leading us. I think many times in the church today, we are more led by emotions than we are led by the spirit. So guys, on this Pentecost Sunday, I hope you desire the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll leave here today seeking that power in a greater way. See, I think for many of us today, We've stopped seeking. We've stopped asking. Or you know what we do a lot of times? We ask here at church. You know, we come forward and we pray. 
and, and, you know, we come forward for prayer and the elders lay hands on us or the prayer counselors lay hands on us. They pray for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and nothing happens. You know what I think? I think God doesn't necessarily want to fill us with the Holy Spirit here. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit out there. Because that's where the world is. That's where the challenges are. That's where the persecution is. That's where the boldness is needed. That's where the gifts of the Spirit are needed. Not here. Right here is safe. Right here we're surrounded by people who love us. Out there. That's the world that needs to be influenced and changed. Guys, yes, come forward for prayer. Seek the power of the Holy Spirit. But anticipate it happening when you walk out those doors. Wake up every day ready to receive what God might have you. I want to leave you this morning with a promise that the Lord Jesus gave to us. It's found in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. There Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so, Lord, we humbly ask you today, Father, to give to us afresh and anew the work and the power and the filling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I recognize this morning that you're sovereign, that you choose when and where and how and to whom. And, Lord, I'm good with that. Because, Father, I know you know best. And, Father, I'm also aware that as humans, Lord, we really get confused sometimes between our own emotions and the work of your Spirit. And, Father, I pray for all of us this morning as we're growing and as we're maturing as believers that, Lord, you will give, a, give us discernment. Lord, that we would be controlled by your Spirit and not by our emotions. Lord, that we will be driven by your Spirit and not by our heart, and our emotions. Father, I, I, I pray for each person here today as they walk out those doors, Lord, and as they face persecution and, and hatred, and, and Lord, as they need boldness and as they need the gifts of wisdom and discernment and, and words of knowledge, uh, Lord, and healing, Lord, I, I pray that you would give them that power right when they need it. And Lord, that you would really begin to use the people gathered here today in our community in a powerful way. Thank you for this Pentecost Sunday. Lord, thank you for all that this Sunday represents. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.